Hallelujah. Merry Christmas. But that's what it's all about, isn't it? It's okay to have a Christmas tree. It's okay to have some decorations. It's okay to have some lights. And many of us, when we go home, we're going to have some good eats. But all that without Jesus, it ain't Christmas, right? Anybody know he's worthy? Come on, give God your best hand clap of praise. Come on, just take 30 seconds and say thank you. Hallelujah. Glory to his name. Bless his name. Father, we bless you in this place as we celebrate your advent into our world. We thank you for the historical truth that Jesus came to save. And you came as king of kings. But Lord, I believe you're still coming, even today. And Lord, we need an existential advent encounter. And so meet us even right now that we might celebrate you. Have your way this day in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Come on, give God another hand clap of praise. Turn to three people and tell them Merry Christmas. Jesus is the reason for the season. Amen. And you may be seated in the presence of our Lord. Amen. Amen. We celebrated the Savior and then Shay took us to church, didn't she? <laughs> Come on, give the Lord a hat cup of praise for the praise team. Amen. Thank you so much. We praise God for you. Good morning to you all. Merry Christmas to all of you. And so glad that we can come together and celebrate our Savior and celebrate the true meaning of Christmas. Amen. want to encourage you again, this day is a day that we obviously have set aside. It's his birthday. We want to celebrate him with a good offering. Amen. So I want to encourage you with your giving. Let's give the gift of life of gift as we appreciate him today when we come to our offering time. Also, too, to all the men, just want to remind you. Tomorrow's the last day for the men's retreat. We want to give you a chance to sign up, and we surely got a great retreat planned in January. Want to jump into our text very, very quickly. Come with me to Psalm 22 and 3 for our meditation text. We're going to finish up our series, The Hidden Meaning of Christmas, and the point being that Christmas has been so commercialized, I wonder do we have the true meaning. And that has been our focus more than anything. And I think today... Uh, crystallizes and captures the essence of what Christmas is all about. And I pray that is all of our experience. Psalm 22, 3 says this, yet you are enthroned. The King James Version says he inhabits the praises of his people as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. Luke chapter 2, verse 13 through 15 says this in the NIV. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom he his favor rests and when the angels had left them and gone into heaven the shepherds said to one another let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about and I want to talk about the hidden gem of Christmas the hidden gem of Christmas. Amen. Anne Lamont in her book, Traveling Mercies, tells her compelling conversion story that I think underscores the hidden gem of Christmas. 
And to be fair to many of us, we've engaged that in one respect, but it's just a reminder of what Christmas is all about and what the center is. Now, just by word of preparation, Anne Lamont uh, is not someone who grew up in a Christian family. She actually grew up in a rather irreverent religious family. And the truth is, she can be pretty hard on the church. But God got a hold of her and touched her. And I want to share with you her experience of conversion. Listen to what she said. She said, I've always believed in God, but I didn't at all believe in Jesus. But one day it was the music that I first heard at this little flea market in Marion City that kind of beckoned me to the church. And when I walked in, I was both blown away and quieted by the beauty of the singing, which was some old black spirituals and some traditional Presbyterian hymns. I felt enveloped, soothed, invigorated by it at the same time. It was really quite a while after this that I had my conversion experience. Something about that gem of worship that, that just moves and touches us all. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, the German theologian who fought the Nazis during the Second World War, had a similar experience when he came to America. He came here to engage Christianity in the West. And after visiting numerous seminaries, he was gravely disappointed at the theological disciplines offered by the American church. He was frustrated by a pietistic lifestyle of evangelicals. But one day he went to Abyssinian Baptist Church, a black church in New York City. And there he was mesmerized by the old Negro hymns. He was overwhelmed by the worship and how God had, had embraced him and embraced that place. So much so, he took those Negro spirituals back to Nazi Germany to fight the Nazis. And in concentration camps behind enemy lines, he taught prisoners of war to sing Negro spirituals where God would create havens of safety and worship in the midst of a Nazi terror. What am I simply trying to say? It's okay to have a little eggnog. It's okay to have a kiss under the mistletoe. All that's all right. But make sure we understand that the hidden gem of, of, of Christmas is worship. That we come together to bow down. Matter of fact, this is what distinguishes Christian and non-Christian. Make sure you understand Christmas is about a savior king that was born that we come to gather around and worship. Many of us don't even realize when we get to heaven, won't be any preaching. All said and done in Jesus. And the only thing left to do is to crown him and acknowledge him as the one worthy of all worship and adoration. That's what we see surrounding his birth. Mary sings the Magnificat as a song of worship when she comes to visit her cousin Elizabeth. Zachariah, the father of John the Baptist, a traditionalist in his own right, sings a song of worship to the Savior. The Magi, when they come, they come bringing gifts from the east, but make no mistake, they bow down. And the Bible says they worship. And so should it surprise us that here in this text that when the angels come to announce that a savior has been born, they, they, they fall into a, in a, a, a chorus of worship 
of the Savior because the hidden gem of Christmas is worship. He inhabits the praises of his people. That's what the Bible says. He's enthroned in their praise. Does anybody remember what Jesus said when he was on the cross? He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And, and, and if, you, if you read it, he's quoting Psalm 22.1, uh, which is the first verse of the 22nd Psalm. And two verses after that is that verse that we like to quote. He inhabits the praises of his people. And so on the one hand, what he's doing, he's surely fulfilling the call, the mission, the messianic prophetic voice that he is the one. But on the other hand, many scholars believe that he's laying out a model for us that in the midst of our own cross, the one place that God will show up is in our worship. All I'm simply trying to say, the hidden gem of of, of Christmas this morning is worship. And if you haven't figured it out, Folk are spending money like it's going out of style this Christmas. And, and there's so much joy and cheer and everybody's happy, but give them about two more weeks. <laughs> They're going to be cussing mad at each other. Y'all know them, right? That's because to have Christmas without Jesus leaves you empty. The hidden gem Christmas is worship. And so I just want to share a few things very quickly and we'll, we'll, we'll be out of here to enjoy the day. Number one, the gem of worship is or provides a harmony effect. In verse 13, it says, suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying, and here we see this harmony of angels singing together, harmonizing in one voice to the glory of God. Can you imagine thousands upon thousands of angels singing with one voice at the coming of our Savior? If you can think about it, in my time, at least I think uh, Whitney Houston or Aretha Franklin were some of the best voices. Who, who, who are the best voices living today? Anybody want to throw that out? Who, who would you say is the best voice? Say that again. Patty LaBelle. Okay, all right. Anybody else? Anybody else? Oh, Mariah, okay, okay. Imagine 10,000 of those Mariahs and Patties and Whitneys all singing together in one unit. Can you imagine that? That's the sense of the text, church, that I want you to get, that, that they've come together. It's breathtaking, and it's a word about God's power to unite and harmonize. And, and, and here's the point. Something supernatural or miraculous happens when the harmony of worship takes place in God's presence. It's a word about God being able to bring all people together simply by worship and simply by the singing of his people. They say when a trio or a quartet harmonizes a melody, that when they harmonize so well, a fifth voice can be heard. John Crochain is considered one of the greatest or influential figures in the history of jazz. And there's one critic by the name of Ashley Can. He, he's a music critic, and he made a comment about uh, John Coltrane in, in a book uh, about his famous album, A Love Supreme. I want to read it for you. Listen to what he says. Now, understand, Ashley is an atheist. He's an agnostic. He doesn't believe in God. He doesn't believe that there's any meaning to life. But listen to what he says when he listens to the album of John Coltrane. He said, as I listened to the album again and again, I felt impelled to address Coltrane's spirituality. 
Though I consider myself a dedicated agnostic and a diehard rationalist, I am ready to admit that there is much that can seem the handiwork of some eternal force under spiritual direction. This is an atheist, y'all. This is an agnostic. This is a man that doesn't believe that there's any meaning behind our material world. But yet when he heard the music of Coltrane, Reggie, he said there's something supernatural. It's, it's so mesmerizing. It's not just something that can be humanly constructed. There has to be an invisible hand behind it. And church, all I'm trying to say is that when we come together and worship as God's people, when we harmonize our voices, when we sacrifice and give him the sacrifices of praise, does anybody know God has a way of showing up in our worship? Does anybody know he inhabits the praises of his people? Matter of fact, when you're going through, don't get upset. Don't throw in the towel. I dare you to thank him. I dare you to lift him up. I dare you to trust him in song. God has a way of encouraging us through our difficulty. There's a harmony effect, but then also, too, there's a health effect. Look what it says in verse 14. It says, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. King James has a little bit of a different reading uh, because the manuscript evidence behind the text is a little bit at odds. One would suggest that God favors only his people, but uh, the NIV reading suggests that God favors all and he desires to bring good to all. That word favor, eudoka, it's a word that speaks of someone who gets pleasure at giving. Uh, many of you will cook today and many of you will do many good things and gifts and the pleasure will come when you see the smiles on their face after the work you've done. And here in this text, Luke is saying God takes great pleasure in sharing goodness and prosperity and health to all people. Jesus was right when he says he reigns over the just and the unjust. He causes the sun rise and set over the same. He's no respecter of a person. The king has come to bring health and goodness to all. And I did just a little bit of research here and was blown away about the substantial information regarding the health effects of those who sing in groups or worship together on a regular basis. Blew me away. There's quite a bit of research. Number one, the physical health benefits alone. They say when you sing routinely together in groups or even in a church setting, you have healthier bodies, you have greater lung capacity, you have improved posture, you have clearer sinuses. I don't know what that's about, but yeah. They say you got better facial muscles, which means people who routinely sing together in groups of worship actually look better than those who don't. And how many of y'all know there's some Christians that need to do a little bit more singing, amen? That was free. Also, they said when groups sing together in congregations or group, watch this, their body's ability to fight of infections increase. And here's the crazy thing, because they usually do this in places of therapy, nursing homes, or what have you. Uh, even though this is consistent across the, 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 um, the, the spectrum, they have no idea as to why it happens. There, there's, no, there's not one specific scientific reason or some kind of satisfactory answer as to why it happens. I believe God just has a way that, hey, worship will heal your body. 
There's mental health benefits, increased levels of social connectedness, reduced stress and anxiety, uh, increased self-confidence, better well-being, better interpersonal skills, uh, lower feelings of social isolation, depression, and anxiety. And that's why when some of us, after we've really had church, the first thing we do is come home and get that Sunday evening nap. Amen? But then there's a relational help, stronger friendships, uh, easier to break the ice with people you've been singing with. Matter of fact, there's, worship, there's research that would suggest that people that sing together in a group are able to resolve their differences better than in counseling or some kind of communication resolution. That there's something that happens with worship. Uh, stronger feelings of connectedness and closeness in community which is why concerts have really taken off in our world. People are very avid of concerts, and I say concerts are nothing but a copy of what worship is anyway. The difference being is that at a concert you can have good music, but many times the individuals that are giving you the music are flawed. But when you come to worship and those who give the music, it's not about themselves. It's about the flawless one. It's about the holy one. And we get the strength of the one that is flawless when we come to worship. There's also a happiness effect or a happiness health benefit in which it gives people a greater sense of happiness. And then finally, it has been shown that singing actually helps people's pain threshold. It releases endorphins and it helps us to manage pain and it elevates our mood, and our mood as well as give us an overall better outlook on life. It's no wonder that when Jesus was on the cross, y'all, he sang a song. But even if I didn't have all that when it comes to worship, just the fact that he is good and he is worthy, I've decided I'm going to worship him anyhow. Are there any worshipers in the house that are thankful for the health benefits? But the fact that he's good, I'm going to worship him anyway. He harmonizes, there's a health effect, and then my last point, there's a hope effect. Because when you look in this text, text says the message was for the shepherds, and when they got the revelation after the worship, they said, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And it's a word about that God loves to move when we worship. It's a word about when people come together, his people, and they give him the praise. There's a way that God says, okay, here's a people that wants me to do something on their behalf. The, the, the adage is right. When the praises go up, the blessings show enough come down. And that's what we see in this text. God moves and the shepherds get the revelation and they're able to go see that which was born in Bethlehem, our Savior of the world. And in a word, something happens when God's people worship. That's all I'm trying to say. Pastor, there have been some days, though, I've come to church, and I did worship, and I went back to the same difficulty, and I found out it, wasn't, it hadn't changed one bit. Does worship really change my situation? And I'll be honest with you, I've had similar experiences like that, where I've come to church thinking that, well, when I go back to my problem, it'll be a little bit different. But you know, in those moments, you know what God is telling me? He's saying, Autry, I know you worship, but did you really worship? Did you really worship? 
or were you more focused on what you needed me to do rather than coming to worship me? And, and, and that's, that's what we need to understand. Sometimes we're not clear on what worship is. But really, in the cross, Jesus gives us a full picture of what worship is. Matter of fact, Paul explains it to us in the text in Philippians chapter 2. It says that he emptied himself and took on a man and became a servant. In a word, I really can't worship until I empty and completely surrender myself to God. And so Princess tried to tell us in the mission video last week that we saw when she talked about how God can fill you up. Fill me up, God. That's a good prayer. I need God to fill me up so I can overflow. But I stopped by to tell you, God can't fill you up until you first empty yourself. But I dare you today, if you empty yourself of anger, if you empty yourself of fear, if you empty yourself of doubt, if you lay down some burdens, is there anybody in here that knows he'll fill you up? He'll fill you with grace. He'll fill you with love. He'll fill you with vision. He'll fill you with hope. Matter of fact, let me put it like this because I feel like preaching today. Friend of mine texted me a video from the Cowboys game on yesterday. I'm going to help you today, Chris. You're going to like this. Text me a video. And he texted me when the score was 34 to 34. Text me a video and he was a little bit worried. But when he showed me the video, he put in the, in the text stream, I'm not worried because the fans are louder than they've ever been. In other words, just on the energy of being at home, he was saying, I think the Cowboys can pull this out. And that's exactly what happened. They won that game 40 to 34. And it dawned on me in that moment, the Cowboys won the game because they had what is called the home court advantage. I got to be honest with you. I don't know if they had won that game had they been in Philadelphia. But because they were in Dallas, the calls go a little bit better. Because they were in Dallas, there was an extra energy they got at home. They don't get on the road. And that's all I'm trying to say. I dare you to come together and worship God. God has a way of giving us the home court advantage that no matter what you're dealing with on the outside, God will give you the victory on the inside. Come on and give God some praise today. Somebody say thank you. You got the home court advantage. You are the blessing. Thank him that he came into your life. Thank him for the advent. Somebody say hallelujah. We got the home court advantage. I got some fights to fight. I got some hills to climb. But I have the home court advantage. Hey. Hey. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What are you trying to say, Pastor? Not mad at Christmas gift giving. Not mad that you can spend all your money on Christmas gifts that you can't afford. Not mad at you. Tell your neighbor, Pastor ain't mad at you. He ain't mad at you. Not mad that you got your Christmas tree up with your lights, got your mistletoe, your eggnog, and even the little something, something you put in the eggnog. Come on. 
Tell the truth. But what I am saying is, you want to know if you really know the true meaning of Christmas? Here's the question. Have you worshipped him? That's what distinguishes Christians from everybody else. And here's the truth for me and for you. We really can't worship until we completely empty ourselves. Fear, anxiety, guilt, shame, sin, brokenness, heartache. Let me tell you something. He can handle it. Anybody know God can handle all that? This this is not hard. He can handle anything that you think you can't handle. Whatever you think keeps you from him, he's waiting. Just empty it. And when we empty it, God has a way spiritually to fill us up, to redirect, and give us vision. That's my word. If you have your cup, let's do the Lord's Supper online.